T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You're listening to Let's Talk Portland. Intercom Radio Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. When you start talking about drug addiction, there are alarming numbers and statistics right here in Portland. This time on the show, we're going to talk to someone whose life has been very impacted by drug addiction, but he's turned that tragedy into a way to help people, help end the stigma attached to drug addiction, and in the process, heal himself. On the show this time, I would like to welcome Eric Kilgore. Eric is the founder of Henry's Uncle. Hey there, Eric. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Henry's Uncle, what is that? Uh, So, Henry's Uncle was formed in uh, January of 2019, about a year ago, um, uh, after my brother, my older brother, uh, accidentally uh, accidentally overdosed and died um, in December of 2018. Um, And after that, uh, you know, experience, I was the one who found him um, when I went to visit him in his condo when I found him. And and, uh, that had a pretty, uh, finding him had a pretty big impact on me. Um, as I didn't know, he had a substance use issue. Um, you know, growing up, uh, you know, we had so many, you know, uh, we were kind of told, uh, around the stigma of addiction, um, that it's a moral failure, um, that people who, who are using or abusing, you know, drugs or alcohol, um, you know, should stop. And it's, you know, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more research I did after he passed, um, the more I understood around addiction, uh, the more I realized that uh, it's not that simple uh, just to stop. Um, right. There's so much stigma um, around addiction. And and um, so I created Henry's Uncle uh, to help raise awareness around addiction and for people to uh, hopefully just start talking about it. What a wonderful way to honor your brother. Sorry for your loss. That's, uh, thank that's you. tough. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, this is where I, ch- I have channeled my grief. Um, I didn't know, you know, there's so, there's so many things after someone, you know, close to you dies. And, um, you know, when you watch uh, TV shows or, or movies, you know, the typical uh, grief scene is someone laying in bed for weeks um, crying and um, which you know, everyone you know grieves differently. Um, but for me, I just kind of went into this, and, and I just wanted to hopefully make a different because difference because I myself am, am you know frustrated by um, not knowing about his substance use, um, um, and also the the suspicions I did have. You know, I did have that stigma around it, and um, you know, if if I didn't have that stigma, would he still be alive? I don't know those questions, but. Um, you know, I just don't want any other family, um, to kind of, you know, to go through what we have. 
and there's just too many families, other families in this uh, nation that have gone through the same, the same issue. Um, you said he had a substance abuse for about 12 years? Yeah, about 12 years. Um, you know, it was around, uh, so he got his first taste. So if we go back, if, you know, he was, uh, he passed away one month before his 35th birthday. Uh, he got his first taste of, of opiates um, when he was around 17 uh, because of uh, uh, wisdom, tooth, teeth, uh, wisdom tooth extraction. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, just like, you know, most teenagers, you go in, you know, you have your get your prescription of Vicodin or Oxycontin. Uh, this was back, uh, oh gosh, yeah, about fifteen, almost twenty years ago, when there was really nothing around opiates, no education around opiates. Um, you know, these doctors handed them out willy nilly then, and and um, uh, he came home, took it, and he just told my mom, said, you know, I like the I like the way it makes me feel, but that was it. You know, there was nothing else. You know, after that, he uh, I don't even think he finished that prescription bottle. Um, and then it wasn't until another four or five years where a friend, of, a close friend of his, uh, introduced him to oxycotton, um, and um, and that, that rec- was, recreationally at that point. I believe so. Yeah. So that's uh, that's what we believe. Uh, about four months or so in um, of his first actual uh, substance use uh, issue, he went to my parents because he realized he he did have an addiction to oxy, um, and. And, you know, when he started trying to not take it, he would get these terrible withdrawals and he had no idea. And he was scared uh, um, out of his mind about withdrawals because they're so terrible. Um, You know, like people who, you know, uh, describe them, it's like having the flu times 10. And so he went to my parents to ask for help. Um, You know, this was about 12 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago. And uh, like my parents and many parents, uh, they took him down to, to get him help. Uh, I think he was on, you know, I, I, this is where it gets fuzzy for me, but I think he was on methadone treatment for about 90 days or so. And methadone is a uh, medication-assisted treatment for, for opiate withdrawals. And so when they thought that was done, my, when my parents thought that was done um, and James was doing well, he thought, you know, hey, that's it. That's the end of a... Uh, his issue, and and he told my parents countless times he never wanted to experience withdrawal again or you know use the drugs again. Um, but um, you know now that you know now what we know is is uh, people who suffer from a substance use uh, use disorder, um, you know it's it's a it's a chronic disease and it's lifelong and people um, and that stuff you know we did not know about um, you know just like many people once you're clean you're good to go. And that's not the case. Yeah, it's yeah, it's with you for a lifetime. Yep. Yeah, and it started. It sounds like it started out pretty innocently for him, yep. which is the way it does for a lot of people. Yes, you do get a prescription for, a, like you say, a wisdom tooth or yep. a, a minor surgery or even a major surgery. Yeah, and you have those pills, and yeah, it can take off from there. Yeah, and from what we know, um, uh, he got it from his friend who had a a uh, a medical issue um, while playing football at Portland State University, and, and that's where he got his Oxycontin from and, and so on and so forth and started selling them. Um, and that's how that's how he got on uh, his issues. And, and from there, um, you know, we, we believe it was on and off. Uh, we don't believe it was a consistent, um, you know, every day. Uh, and I should know, you know, I worked with my brother for the last uh, eight or nine years in the same office. Um, and I was, my, my brother told my parents to, to keep it a secret. Um, do not tell anybody, uh, you know, they didn't want anybody knowing. And so my parents, my parents honored that wish. Um, 
I think one or two of his closest friends knew about it, uh, but I was never told. And I, I worked in the same office. There was maybe one or two times where I had my suspicions, but um, you know, it's just uh, you know when you have an uh, you know opioid you know, opioid use disorder, it's it's you know odorless. Um, you can't smell it on them. Um, he came in, and you know, if he was using, uh, he was very you know, high functioning, uh, working every day. Uh, my my brother and my dad and I, we have our own um, uh, technology business, and I would never have known. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, it wasn't until maybe the last two weeks where where things um, before last two weeks before he passed, where things kind of started getting out of hand. And by out of hand, I mean it's not like what you know. I think the typical people expect it's. It's just uh, uh, leaving work without telling, hey, where you're going or, you know, just kind of disappearing for an hour or two and or just the excuses of why you're leaving just never made sense, never yeah. added up. Yeah. Um, the, the the highs and lows, the, the, you know, the, the, the anger issue uh, where, you know, just be talking about something, he'd get really angry. And it wasn't those about those last two weeks where I, I had my very high suspicion that something was going on, but never in a million years would I think I would have found him dead from a you know fentanyl overdose, you know, wow. just never in a million years would I've thought walking you know walking into his condo that night that he would be you know lying there dead. Oh, well, sorry. Thank you. Uh, we're talking today with Eric Kilgore, founder of Henry's Uncle, which is a. How would you describe your organization, Henry's Uncle? Yeah, so we're a nonprofit, um, and our mission is is to raise awareness uh, about addiction. You know, through the power of storytelling, really. Um, you know, through storytelling is education. And for so long, uh, people who, who have an addiction issue have kept it quiet. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is from, you know, AA, you know, uh, Alcohols Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. And, and don't get me wrong, those are wonderful institutions and have saved and helped many, many lives. Um, but the anonymity part is what has kept addiction in the shadows. Um, and, and, you know, it's time for people, if they are comfortable to tell their stories, um, you know, families, uh, who have gone through it as well to tell their stories so we can, you know, start talking about addiction as a disease, which it is, instead of just, uh, uh, still stigmatizing it and thinking it's a moral failure and pushing these people aside and not helping them, um, which they need. Uh, and we have a, we have a system in place right now, a health, you know, healthcare system, that does not help um, uh, people with addiction. Um, there's so many barriers, uh, you know, that come with someone who who has a substance use issue, and it's so hard to find treatment. Um, you know, many people who go to the ER uh, just because that's kind of the last resort, and the ER uh, docs will just say, "Hey, you know, here, you know," and I've seen this, um, or they'll say, "Hey, uh, you know, here's your discharge papers. You know, st- stop uh, stop abusing opioids. Stop, you know, or you know, the safest thing for you is actually go home and keep drinking." Um, and those are the, wow. those are those uh, discharge papers, and that's just so sad. Instead of having, you know, five, six, ten hands, you know, reaching for them, pulling them forward, you know, to helping them out and getting them in, into a, a treatment facility, uh, getting them a bed so they can start their recovery path. Um, there's just so many denied entries uh, for people suffering from addiction. You started Henry's Uncle about a year ago. Yes, yeah, right? correct. Um, what have the last twelve months been like for you? It's been very eye-opening. Um, I, I never expected um, in a million years to to be in this field. Um, you know, I thought I had my kind of career path set, but uh, you know, after his death, after my brother's death, I, I, you know, for me, it was just I wanted to educate myself about 
what do people with a substance issue go through? Because the biggest the biggest theme that I have found, and it, and it's one of the saddest things that I have that I have found, you know, talking with people in recovery is is the word normal. And and my brother said this too to my parents one night, where where taking the the opiate or whatever it may be, uh, a Xanax or or alcohol in this case, uh, um, is it makes me feel normal. And there are so many. You know, that's for me. That was just one of the. It's one of the saddest themes, because you know, when you hear people talk about it, you know, whether they take heroin or, or oxycontin, whatever it may be, it's it like gives them a uh, like a warm hug, and and it kind of just you know lets them be normal. They th- well, they they think they're normal um, uh, because of the drug, and you know, but really, you know, it's just it, for me, it's just you know, it's really just it's so sad to hear that because. My brother was a, such a wonderful person. You know, he was funny, vibrant, um, you know, hilarious. He was the the, the clown of the family, um, and the fact that he had to take a drug to feel normal, um, you know, it just it, it just kills me. Do many people that have substance abuse problems do they have underlying issues like depression or things? You like know, that? there there are studies out there that you know they do have um, uh, many people with a substance use issue have a you know co- co- comorbid. Uh, issue as well. So something else along the line, like you mentioned, depression, uh, bipolar disorder, you know, my brother for a long time always talked about the highs and lows he had, um, you know, and, and he was always for him, he would, he was always trying to get his, his mind fixed. You know, he was always trying to find a solution, whether it was, you know, Hey, do I have ADD? Um, you know, do I have this, this, and, and, there was always something going on. He talked about having the million thoughts in his head just racing. Yeah. And so when he took those pills, it, it calmed those thoughts down so he could actually, um, from what he said, is he could function. So he felt normal. He felt, you know, respected again. Um, he felt like he could think. And, you know, and, and so many times, you know, we see this instead of treating um, the underlying causes of it, you know, we put so much money into into law enforcement and and supply side. And what I mean by supply side is trying to interdict all the drugs coming in um, into the U.S. and or trying to arrest our way out of this. Um, uh, you know, jailing people who have an addiction issue, and that it just it it doesn't work. And and so that's what I've been seeing is we have a lot of policy failures. Um, and because of the war on drugs for the last you know. 50 years yeah. and all that needs to change. Um, you know, for, for you know, we, we've had 70 in 2018, 70, almost 70,000 people die of drug overdoses. Uh, 30,000 of those people were due to, um, you know, fentanyl. Uh, 88,000 people uh, last year died due to uh, alcohol um, related deaths. Um, those are crazy numbers. They are. They are, and and you know I've, I heard those numbers before my brother passed. You know those statistics, and they are outrageous when you yeah. see them. But for many people, it doesn't hit home. I you know it doesn't. It did not hit home for me until you know I saw my brother, and you know, and for him that was his first time overdosing and his last time. You know, and um, you know I, I, we wish we could know what was going on through you know his mind for those last three to four months before he passed. Um, you know, we just don't know. Uh, you know, we can guess and talk about it, but we just don't know um, what was going on. One of the goals of Henry's uncle is to help uh, get over the stigma of yes. addiction. Correct. Yep. Um, what kind of 
stigmas are out there because I was looking at your website yeah. and I saw a picture of your brother yeah. and he doesn't look or fit the profile of yeah. somebody who would die from a drug overdose. Yeah, and I've heard that a couple of times and that's exactly what the stigma is really. It's it's you know what we're taught growing up is it's the people on the streets who um who are the ones abusing drugs. Um you know, it's not the it's not the people who are working every day who are um you know, using, you know, t taking their Xanax or their Oxycontin or having a bottle of, you know, liquor in their, in their office drawer. Um, and that's the people we, 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 for, you know, we don't think of. And those are the people who are, who are um, using um, and abusing drugs. Um, and, you know, that stigma, you know, around, around a face of who we think is, are, are the, are the culprits um, is just not real. You know, it's uh, addiction is everywhere around us. Um, you know, there was a statistic that I saw that one in three families in America um, have someone who is dealing with an addiction issue. And when you start thinking that way, a third, yeah. you know, a third of Americans, uh, American families, it's just it's everywhere. And it's not it's not just the people on the streets. And again, we should also should not look at the people on the streets like they have some sort of moral failure either. Right. Right. You know, it's. You know, if, if we actually started asking, hey, how did you end up here and how can we help? I think that would, you know, to anyone that goes a long way. Yeah. I, I'm assuming there's a lot of shame involved. Yes. Too. Yeah. A ton of shame. Um, you know, like just, you know, for instance, my brother, um, I'll take him as an example. You know, he didn't want to talk about it. Um, he told my, he, he kept my, uh, told my parents to keep it a secret. Um, he never told me. Um and you know, we grew up in the same room together. We we shared the same office for eight or nine years. Um, you know, we were basically around each other our whole lives. Uh, you know, he didn't tell me. Um, uh, my parents didn't tell me uh, until maybe a, a year or so, I think, before he passed, that he did have an issue. Uh, you know, uh, by that time, it was about ten years prior. So, um, you know, being able to talk about it openly, uh, understanding addiction as a disease. Um, and not a moral failure will help people, you know, just keep talking about it and the stigma. And, and again, you know, someone made a great point. Hey, we could have the infrastructure right now um, of say, hey, let's just open a million be recovery beds. Let's have those open, but they won't be filled until we end the stigma because people who, who are suffering don't want to admit it because they feel like they have a moral failure. They have that shame around them and that's what needs to end. Yeah, Absolutely. What are the goals that you have for the next, say, three to five years? What do you What do you hope to be doing? You've, you're a year in. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's been a you know big learning process just in terms of the nonprofit world in general. But um, you know, I've met some just uh, one of the the craziest things I, I've I've um, experienced so far in the last year is just the recovery community and how wonderful they are. You know, all the doctors, all the people, everyone is just they are they are truly incredible, and everyone who's trying to help out. With this cause, you know, everyone's so so giving. Um, even if you have a nonprofit, they're not like, oh my gosh, let's. We can't tell you this because of you know some sort of competition. Everyone just wants to help out, and right. and that's just so wonderful. And so, in three to five years, you know, uh, one, you know, keep up our um, Henry's Uncle podcast. You know, where we feature people who are in recovery to tell their you know their amazing stories um, to help end, end that stigma. Because again, you'll see um, everyone's just they're, they're normal living people who, who ended up, you know, down this road, but, 
Um, you know, what, what we forget as well is there are 20 million people in recovery, over 20 million people in recovery in America. We talk about wow. death a lot, but there are over 20 million people in recovery. Um, you know, keep the education going around um, uh, addiction, but also hopefully in three to five years, you know, have a resource center so people and families who are suffering from uh, um, an addiction issue can go and we can, you know, hopefully provide, um, you know, resources of where to go. Um, you know, have those connections with different uh, recovery centers, um, you know, region-wide, statewide, whatever it may be, um, and and help them find the recovery that day. Not, you know, many times it's, oh, we don't have an opening for another three to four weeks. Well, guess what? In three to four weeks, that person might not be alive. Yeah, things could quickly change. Yeah, quickly change. And, and um, so hopefully, yeah, in three to five years, have a resource center open where people can just come in and we can help navigate uh, those areas. There's tons of information available on your website, which is uh, henrysuncle.org. Yes. Um, tell me about some of the resources you have posted there. Yeah. So, you know, help. if you just need help on finding a, a treatment locator, you know, we have the resources there. You know, samsa.org is a, is a great one. Um, I believe it's S A M S H A. They are the, um, you know, national, uh, you know, basically advisory of of where to go if you are in trouble, um, not trouble, but you know, suffer from a substance use disorder, and they have a great treatment locator. You know, you plug in your zip code and you can find out. Um, other ones are are family based. You know, like uh, Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. You know, because many times uh, um, after you know someone who is going through uh, a substance use issue, many times that the family is forgotten, and it's it's a. Uh, it takes a load on the family, oh, yeah. um, and so there's you know wonderful treatments like uh, Al-Anon or Naranon, or family members who who have a loved one going uh, you know suffering from addiction um, can go and just and just air their grievances, um, you know talk to people who are going through the same things, uh, you know tell their story just to you know uh, release that stress, um, and also different uh, ways of recovery. Um, uh, you know we we hear about AA or NA. A lot, but there are multiple ways of recovery. Uh, there's not just one, um, and one of the one of the reasons why we're in this hole is is um, of uh, you know abstinence only recovery, and that doesn't work for you know everyone. Um, and we need to be open to the fact that hey, there there are evidence based treatments like medication assisted treatments such as methadone or buprenorphine, um, where it reduces those cravings for opioids, and and the you know the person can go back. Have a functional life. He can go, you know, he or she can go back to work, be with their family, be present. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people say, "Oh, it's just a crutch." Well, no, it's not. It's it's uh, it's <laughs> it's the gold standard of you know people you know coming off uh, uh, opioids. So we need to be open to that and not just say, "Oh, are you abstinent?" So you know, are you just are you uh, not taking anything else? And you have to be abstinent only to be in this recovery program. That's just. You got to end that, and that's another stigma right there. Um, you know, only having one way of recovery—that's yeah. just silly. So, you've learned a lot in the last twelve months. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, any any book I can read, um, you know, on it, I I, I take it. Um, there's a lot of wonderful books out there. Um, you know, uh, people who have lived uh, the experience um, from all walks of life, uh, from family members to to a person who's who's gone through the the crisis themselves. Um, to doctors, and and that's where my head is right now. It's just it's it's in that book, and um, there's so many different ways to approach this. But the one way we can't keep approaching it is incarcerating people. You know, just like with mental health, that stigma needs to end. Um, 
you know, I, I've dealt with that too. I, I suffer from pretty severe anxiety and, and I was very quiet myself for so long because um, I thought I had some sort of issue. But once I started talking about it, people around me just started opening up, oh, I've dealt with it. You know, my, my family members dealt with it. And the same thing with addiction. When people ask me now, uh, what do you do for, for your work? I say, oh, I just run a local nonprofit, you know, uh, or addiction nonprofit. And because and what I found is every time I say that, someone goes, oh, hey, I'm 10 years sober. Or, hey, I just got off uh, uh, shooting heroin meth three years ago. Um, or my family members uh, going through it. Everyone has a story. It's tough Everyone. to do, but once you start opening up, the, yeah. the help just comes flooding in. It does. Yeah. It does. And, um, you know, we, we have to end this uh, uh, addiction crisis. And it's going to take a long time. It's not going to be overnight, um, but it's going to take the community and everyone around us to help out. Um, you know, it's not, we got to get over this this notion, this thought that it's just happening, you know, on the streets downtown somewhere. It's, yeah. it's not. It's happening everywhere. We have about a minute left, and one question I haven't asked you yet is where did the name Henry's Uncle come from? Uh, so Henry's Uncle, um, so I now have a, uh, a he's going to be two on March 27th, uh, my son, Henry, and it was James's first uh, nephew. Um, he was about eight months old uh, when, uh, Henry was almost eight months old when James passed, and James was so excited to be an uncle. He was an uncle to many of his friends, uh, kids, and and when I see those pictures of him with, with other kids, um, I get very jealous, and it's it's frustrating to see because um, I know how excited he was to be an uncle to Henry, and and their personalities are so much alike. They're, you know, I'm a very, I'm a pretty quiet person. Um, James was so just funny and out there, and and Henry's the same way. He just has a big smile, big laugh. Um, so that helps me on a day to day basis. Seeing that, you know, just it reminds me so much of James. So um, yeah, that's how Henry's uncle came to be. That's cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I know this is very personal, but I, I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. We've been talking today with Eric Kilgore, founder of Henry's Uncle. Thanks again. Thank you. Let's Talk Portland is an Intercom Radio Portland public affairs program. 